Amen. Wasn't that good? God bless the praise team. That was awesome. I hope you didn't miss last week. If you did, please go to our podcast at our website and listen to that. We're in a series called Dreams, Visions, or Dreams, Mystery, and Divine Intervention. And today I'm going to talk about mainly the mystery portion of that. Might get in to have time to get into a little bit of the divine intervention. And all these things overlap. Last week we talked about dreams. I had uh, actually several uh, people send me dreams and uh, for me to help interpret them for them, and, and uh, the Lord blessed us to, to do that. Uh, we use our text we used last week in Job 33 and verses 14, 15, and 16, where it says, For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering, on their beds. Then he opens their ears of men and seals their instruction. And we talked about how that dreams is one of the ways that God speaks to us, and he's used that in uh, all of our lives. He's used it tremendously in my life to, to direct me, to confirm uh, my call in ministry, and, uh, and actually to confirm my call even to be uh, where I am today here at Grace Point. And so God can do that in your life as well, and sometimes we just uh, need to spend more time acknowledging those dreams, asking God to help us to understand uh, what he is communicating to us. But today, I want to talk really about the mystery. Uh, God hides things for us. He does not hide things from us. Proverbs 25 and 2, I'll read this one and then we'll uh, pray and let you be seated. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Uh, never uh, is our royal identity more revealed than when we are embracing mystery. Uh, if you look up the word mystery in the New King James Bible, just the word mystery is in there 22 times. That's an amazing number of times, really, in the New Testament. And then the word mysteries is in there five times. Uh, so God has a lot to say. And when you read all that, and I didn't bring all those verses, of course, but it talks about, it uses these phrases. It says the mystery of the kingdom of God. It says the mystery of Jesus Christ. It says the mystery of God. The mystery of God's will uh, in our lives. And it talks about the mystery. And so God hides these things uh, for us, and he doesn't hide them from us. So that's what we want to look at today. Amen? Turn over and smile at your neighbor and say, we're about to get into it. Come on, tell them. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your people. We just pray that your spirit would, Lord God, just bring illumination and transformation through the renewing of our minds as we yield ourselves to you, as we embrace mystery. And Lord, as we, Lord God, find out that blueprint that you have put upon our spirit, that we may walk in the path that you have designated for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. Mysteries. How many loves a good mystery? Uh, you live in one if you're serving the Lord. Now let me say this to you. We talked about last week. Uh, you know, a lot of times people want to just follow God by what they understand. In other words, they create an intellectual uh, gospel. But if you have an intellectual gospel, then that kind of a gospel is really not a gospel at all. But it's always in danger of creating a God that looks a lot like us. In other words, we, we bring God down in our minds to our size. 
You know, that's kind of why David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You, you can't make God, you and I can't make God any bigger, so to speak, than he is, right? But why did David say that? Because when you use a magnifying glass, you're not making the object you're looking at any larger. It's just becoming larger to you because you've magnified it. And so a lot of times we've got way too big a devil and way too small of a God in how we view life and how we think, even maybe in the things that we've been taught in church and in religion. But the search sometimes for the answers to these mysteries in our life and why God did this or why God didn't do this or why this happened or why that happened. And so we, we search for answers, but, but sometimes in this Christian walk, it will cause you to reject mystery altogether. And uh, a lot of times with Christians, really mystery uh, is really not valued in their life. But I want to tell you something, mystery is a treasure to the life of a Christian. And, and the things that you don't know about the Bible, God, you, the, you know, God's will for your life. Listen to me. The things you don't know are just as important as the things you do know. And you've got to have that tension of both of those things. Um, if, listen, if I understand with my mind, if I understand everything going on in my life, then I want to tell you something. You've got an inferior life. You've got an inferior Christian life. Uh, the walk of faith means we live according to the revelation that we have received, but we do that in the midst of of the mysteries that we can't explain. Listen, that's why it's called faith. That's why it's called faith. That's why that we're in what's called the faith, because it requires faith. And so to allow what you don't understand to dilute uh, us and what God wants to reveal to us, uh, that's really what the Bible calls carnal-mindedness. To, to only obey what we understand I want to tell you, if that's all we do, if you only obey what you understand with your mind, then you're going to greatly limit your walk with God and your experience with God because that's just not the way God operates. Can somebody say amen? Um, there is tremendous power. You've heard me say this over the years. Uh, the power of an offended mind where your mind becomes offended, and, and it's really offended by the things that God's doing. In Mark chapter 6, uh, these verses here shows us really kind of how that goes down. And, and Jesus, uh, with his disciples in verse 1, he's coming back to his own country, to his own hometown, his own people. And then in verse 2 it says, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he is given to him? And then, he, and then they're excited. Such mighty works are performed by his hands. I mean, they're excited about this. They're, they're saying, this, you know, where did he get this wisdom? And, and he's doing miracles. And, and, and then their mind goes into gear. Look in verse 3. And then they ask themselves the question, is not this the carpenter, uh, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simeon? Are not his sisters with us? In other words, we know this guy. We watched him grow up. And look what it says. And they were what? Offended at him. And then Jesus knew that, and he said, A prophet's not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, that's not saying that Jesus thinks that's the way it should be. He's just saying that's the way that normally it is. And then look in verse 5. This is an amazing verse. Now, he didn't want to do any mighty miracles there. No, I don't say that, does it? It said he could do no mighty work there. Now, who are we talking about here? 
We're talking about Jesus. And it didn't say he didn't want to. It said he could not do it. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's about where the ministry, I don't even know if most ministries of most churches even rise to that point of laying our hands on a few sick people and seeing them healed. And here in an atmosphere of unbelief, Jesus was shut down from being able to perform the mighty miracles and the mighty works that he wanted to do. And he wanted to do them. That's why he was there. But he couldn't do them because of their offended heart. They're, they were offended at him. And that offense shut down the power of God. And in verse 6, it said he marveled because of their what? Unbelief. And then it says he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And I don't think we should overlook that. In other words, the answer to people's unbelief is just to go over the same things over and over again. Go back over it in a circle and teach them the word of God, which is what I'm doing right now. They, why were they offended? Did he call them names? Did he call these people here like he did the Pharisees, whitewashed graves, full of, man, uh, full of dead men's bones? He, did he call them vipers? No, not here he didn't. So in other words, they're not offended because he was, you know, their feelings were hurt. So why are they offended? They were offended because they couldn't put two and two together to equal four. They couldn't figure out how that this guy that they knew all of his life, all of a sudden, has, has got this great wisdom and can do mighty works. And because they couldn't figure it out in their head, they were offended and they rejected what God was doing. Isn't that amazing? The, uh, the, the, listen, not understanding what's going on, that's okay. Now, you know a lot of us do this in our prayer times or when we're going through tough times. When people come to me for counseling, this is what I hear so many times, almost every time. Pastor, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand why, and then they fill in the blank. A lot of times that's put off on God. I don't understand why God let this happen. Well, who said God let it happen? See, you, in other words, you already got God tried, convicted, and sentenced, and you, had, you don't even know. Because your theology may be so messed up with your view of God that you think God is in control of everything because that's what you hear in most churches, and I don't have time to move over on that uh, statement. Uh, might as well plug my own book, buy my book, and that's the first chapter of mysteries unveiling mystery, the, the, these myths, uh, you know, that's said in church. And so anytime something big happens, some kind of disaster, you'll see people on Facebook now. They'll be encouraging one another. I don't, I, you know, God's in control. God is not in control of everything on this earth. And I, we got some new people because now you look shocked. And I have just offended your mind because you believe or have been taught that God is in control. If God was in control, there would never be a child molested. There would never be a murder. There would never be a rape. There would be no death. There would be no sorrow. God's in control in heaven. That's why there's none of that there. But man is controlling earth. The Bible says in Psalms that the earth he has given to the sons of men. The heavens, the heavens above are the Lord's, but the earth he gave to Adam, and Adam gave it to Satan. And the last Adam, Jesus, come to take it back and to save us. And so God is in charge, so you don't have to be, you know, terrified, but he's not in control. Uh, the Valdosta Police Department are not in control of Valdosta, right? 
I don't think you know that. Y'all just let me know when y'all figure that out and I'll move to my next point. They're not in control because you can speed, you can run through red lights, you can hurt people, you can shoot one another and stab them. If they were you know, in control, they wouldn't allow that to happen. But they're in charge. They don't want that to happen. That's kind of how it is. God don't want those things to happen. And God is not you know, made the earth, turned his back, you know, and said, I'll check on y'all in a couple thousand years. No. God, we're talking about divine intervention. We're talking about these mysteries. But there's just a lot of things that we don't understand. And so not understanding is okay, but restricting our spiritual life to only what we understand, that's not okay. And so I remember one time, uh, this is many years ago, but this is my life, so I have to tell it. Uh, but I'm just talking about mysteries, things you don't understand, and, and you all have them. Um, I remember Jill was in the hospital. I, I uh, right at that time, I hadn't, I hadn't even started Cornerstone Church there this, that go, in Sparks, where I founded that church and uh, pastored there for 19 years. But um, it was right before then, so it's been a, it's been a while back. And um, so my wife got sick and had tracheal windpipe, tracheal uh, swelling, edema. Uh, just you know, she'd never really been sick. The only time I'd ever seen her in the hospital at that point was just to, you know, have the babies. So we had our three kids, and, and so uh, I was a paramedic. Uh, I, you know, most of you know I've done that for 20 years, so I'm familiar with some of the things that goes on uh, physiologically and in the body. And, and anyway, so the, the, she was having some problems, gone to the doctor a couple of times. Well, one night she began to cough, and she had laryngospasms. Her vocal cords closed up in her windpipe, couldn't breathe. She's basically like trying to breathe through a straw. And so I just, I rushed her to the emergency room. In fact, I even left the three kids. It was the middle of the night, left them. I called my dad, said, I don't even have time to wait for you to get here to, to look after the, the, the babies. I, I got to get her to the emergency room. And, um, and so I rushed to the emergency room. And as soon as they saw her condition, they, pull, they pulled out what I knew was a trach tray. They were, they were getting ready to cut a trach and an opening into her windpipe so to save her life. I mean, it was pretty frightening. And even though I was a paramedic, it's different when it's your own wife, man, it's your own family. And so, I, you know, I was really upset. And, and thank God she didn't, that didn't have to happen. They didn't have to cut an opening in her throat. And, and, uh, but they, they immediately, after they got her stabilized in the emergency room, they put her in ICU. And, um, and I was scheduled, you know, that, I forget what, exactly what day that was. It was close to the weekend. And I was scheduled to start a revival in a church uh, right over here in Enigma. Anybody ever heard of Enigma? Uh, not a enigma, but the enigma, okay? Uh, and uh, so I was scheduled to start a revival in a church over there, and I actually was going to call the pastor and cancel. And I told my wife I was going to cancel the meeting, and, you know, she was in ICU. I got three babies to try to, you know, three kids to be Mr. Mom too, and with the help of my parents and stuff. And, and she said, no, it's so close. I mean, you know, don't cancel. They've been waiting on you to come. Go. I'll be all right. I'm just right here, and it's not far. And, and go ahead. And she encouraged me to keep the revival, and I did. Never had met the pastor, never had preached in that church. I met him that night when I went and began a revival. And uh, that's what people call them, revivals. So the first night of the meeting, and my wife's in ICU, and to say that my mind was scattered was an understatement, okay? I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty scrambled up, you know, because i got a lot going on. But you just try to go and do your best, you know, and just yield yourself to the Lord. So I go there that night, and at the end of the service, then we had prayer for people, and people wanted prayer. And a lady came up, and I prayed for her, and, uh, 
and different people. And, and such an amazing thing happened that night. Is as far as we can tell, according to the pastor there and all in that time, anybody that was in there that was sick that came forward for prayer got healed that night. And so the next night, and I didn't know all that happened that night. I just prayed for people. Sometimes you pray for people and you feel absolutely nothing. You understand? But it's not based on you. So we prayed for the people. I knew that a lady had come up, you know, with a walker. And, you know, because it takes her a while to get up there and a while to get back to her seat. So I remember that, you know, was a person like that. Prayed for her. So the next night, I'm sitting on the front row. I really got my mind thinking about my wife. She's in ICU. I'd spent a lot of time with her that afternoon. And, uh, and so this lady walks up to me. I was sitting on this side on the front pew of that church. And a lady walks up and she says, uh, uh, you know, Pastor Dale, do you, do you notice anything different about me? I remember that was her first words to me. Well, I've been married a while, so I know you don't answer that question to women. Right? Now, if you're a novice, you would be dumb and answer that and get in trouble. So I'm not going to say anything because I don't know what she's trying to get me to notice, you know. And so I'm just looking at her, and she says, my walker, my walker. And I'm thinking, I don't have it. I that's, that, that was her, that's the exact conversation. My walker, my walker. And she said, I don't have my walker. She said, I don't need it. And then she told me her, her story. Her name, I'm going to give her name because she wouldn't mind, and I, I, she's already gone to be with the Lord, and she's probably enjoying this message from heaven. But her name, I didn't know it then, but she told me, she said, my name is Sister Crook. And I believe sometimes even there's plays on word prophetic, you know, but God was sure making the crooked path straight here with this woman. And she had the degenerative, she had some kind of bone problems. Her bones were breaking down and, and, and she was losing that and, and there was no cure for her. They had told her that the only thing that she could do was try to keep herself, her muscles as strong as possible. Eventually the bones would give away. She would have to be in the bed and from that position, you know, she would probably leave due to pneumonia, blood clots or whatever. But they said the best thing you can do is walk and keep your muscles as strong as possible and I'll give you more time. That was her prognosis. Well, that night, she said, I prayed for her. She didn't feel anything either. She went home, went to bed. Every morning, she got up, she reached for her walker, and she pushed herself up out of bed. She had tremendous pain in her hip, all her joints and so forth. And, and what she would try to do every day, and she didn't do it every day, she said, but almost every day, she would uh, make a, uh, a walk around the block. Uh, and she would try to, that was, you know, she made it around the whole block. She had really done something, she said. And so she would do that. That morning, she pushed up on that walker and stood and had no pain. And she felt different. And then she moved the walker away, and she was totally, 100% healed uh, from her disease. Now, being in the habit of walking every day for years, she still took her walk around the block. So she goes walking around the block. But how many know she can walk a lot faster now? And she doesn't have a walker that she's doing this and taking steps. So she just makes a normal human walk around the block. Well, one of her neighbors that sees her pass by almost every day sees her. Runs in, tells her husband, I just saw Sister Crook go by without a walker. He said, no, you didn't. He said, there's no way. You just don't know what, you know, he didn't believe her. And she said, I'm telling you, that's her, and I'm going to chase her down. And so she took off after the woman. And she caught up with her, and sure enough, it's Sister Crook. And Sister Crook told her about the miracle and what God had done. Now, she stood there that night and told me this tremendous 
miracle. Do you all know God still does that kind of stuff? He's a miracle-working God. And, 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 and I know so many people that live their Christian life, and they've never really had a drink out of the cup of the supernatural, really. I mean, your, your, your new birth is supernatural, but, I mean, I'm talking about they just don't, there's just no expectancy for that. And listen, if you're offended by this, you don't believe this, you've been taught that God don't do this anymore, all kind of stuff, you're just like those people I just read about. You're offended, and you actually, you have a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're creating. In other words, you're, you, you know, you don't expect God to do anything, you don't believe God to do anything, you, you don't even reach for anything, and, and you don't see anything, and therefore you confirm your prophecy that God don't do anything. And you think you're right. There's a lot of people that's afraid to really embrace what they don't understand because they are afraid that if they embrace mystery, that they'll be deceived. Well, people like that are already deceived because they are depending and, and, and they are relying, they're, they're relying upon their, their own finite logic to protect them from deception, and they don't even understand that they're already in deception because they're limiting God. Now, a lot of people get mad with things they don't understand, and then they put God on trial, but God's not on trial. And, and, and that shuts down the power of God because then you make demands on God. Well, if God, if you're this, well, if you, if you want me to believe in you, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Well, most of the time, that don't work out for you, especially not from a pride-filled heart of arrogance and demand because he's God and we're not. He loves us beyond imagination. But God can't confirm your way of doing things by answering you when you try to put him on trial. Just, he can't do that. That would be confirming a false doctrine or a false, because this is by faith. Now, a lot of us get confused and say, well, you know, so what I'm trying to get to, you say, well, where's the mystery at in that woman getting healed? Where's my wife at? She's in ICU. How many believes I'd already said a prayer for her? Okay. I was praying for her in the emergency room, out loud, in front of the doctors, nurses, and God, and everybody. But she didn't seem to get any better. She's in ICU. I have already prayed my best prayer. Nothing seemingly is going on. I go to a church that I've never been to, met a lady that you know, didn't know, and she has a tremendous disease, and God, she's healed. Now, what that did is it offended me. Now, I know you wouldn't probably expect in that, but this is the title of the message. This is what I did. It was a mystery. I, I'm like, I, I, here I go, but I don't understand that. And it really kind of ticked me off a little bit, just to be honest with you. Because I'm like, now, I don't, this is what I said to God later on, you know, like, because you would think I would have rejoiced with the lady and hugged her and, and all that. And, you know, and I was like, hallelujah, praise God, you know, give God glory, hallelujah. She also told me that night that her, I don't know if it was a brother or something, uh, had, was up from, uh, I think, Perry, Florida. He was visiting her. And he had bleeding ulcers for years. Was on all kind of stomach medicine. Had Couldn't eat anything. Very, like he felt his healing come upon him that night. Totally healed that night. No more stomach problem. Didn't eat anything he wanted to. Now, just to say this, about uh, six months later, uh, you know, I had already started uh, my church there in Sparks, in, in Cornerstone, and uh, Sister Crook came, and I remember that night, was back when we was really saved and had Sunday night services. Y'all remember that? And so we had Sunday night services. And so Sister Crook came, and he was with me, and her neighbor, remember, that chased her down? She also came with her to church. 
And uh, I let Sister Crook give her testimony that night. And so after the service, we went back in our little fellowship hall, and, you know, you have the little church thing, you potato chips and peanuts and cake and, you know, all that stuff. And that lady came and sat right by me, her neighbor, Sister Crook's neighbor. And I'm just a young preacher, you know, I'm sitting there, and I never felt so uncomfortable because, you know, she's an older lady, and she was just sitting there, and she had her little plate, and she was just looking at me, just up and down. She was just looking at me. And I don't know what was going through her mind, but I felt like she was trying to figure out how did you heal her? She, she just couldn't hardly believe it. She wanted to come and meet this preacher, she said. She said, I've known Sister Crook for years. I just want to come see you. And if she was looking at me, I, you know, the scripture come to my mind is I wanted to just to blurt it out, you know, like they did in the Bible, you know, like the disciples did. Why do you stand gazing at us as if by our own power that we had made this woman whole? You know, like, yeah, I should have. <laughs> but it's in the name of Jesus, you know, and all that. But I just talked to her, you know, and I said, the Lord did it, you know. And then, and, and the pastor gave me report after report that night. And I was offended because my wife was still in the ICU. And she didn't seem like it, her miracle. And it made it hard for me to rejoice with that lady that did get hers. I'm just being honest. A few days, week, two went on. My wife was, I think, in ICU like three days. She got out, come home. She, she was okay. And I'm uh, thankful for that. But it didn't happen, you know, in some, like it did for that lady. Um, I remember I was reading in the Bible about the woman with the issue of blood. Y'all remember that lady? Um, and you remember that there was a man named Jairus, Jarius, and he had a 12-year-old daughter, and uh, he went and sought Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. Remember that? So they actually send servants to go. They, they, they go to, uh, you know, Jairus to, to get Jesus to his house. And on the way, a woman member presses through that crowd and touches Jesus, and she's healed. Now, you've got to remember that while this woman's getting healing, there's a critical, urgent need that seems like nothing's being done for. And it's like that guy said, I asked first, so I should be getting mine first before this woman is getting her healing. So in other words, while this woman is with the issue of blood is getting healed, Jairus is having to stand there and knowing that they actually have said his daughter is dead. But it doesn't look like God's making any movement towards his house. And now we're having to deal with this woman, and I asked first, and this ain't fair. Y'all let me know when I say something that hits you, you know, I'm talking to somebody. That story, I kind of lived that out, and God revealed that to me. He said, son, you're the one that brought, you know, in other words, I, I, God, basically, I, you know, I brought God in, in so, so to speak. I went after him. And now he's like, you want to be offended at me because this woman, Sister Crook with the walker, she pressed through and touched the hem and got her healing. And now you want to be mad at me? Come on, son. Mystery. That one's a pretty good one. Well, my youngest son now, this uh, few years old, uh, he, uh, about 30, I think, getting close. Um, how old is he, Jill? 30, okay. My wife is here. She's in the back. Um. When he was 18, he started having heart problems, and he got diagnosed with a heart condition called cardiac uh, cardiomyopathy, and it's the thickening of the heart muscle walls, and, 
And uh, it's the thing that you see about, you know, it's a lot of times like with basketball players, they're just playing basketball, running the court, and they just drop dead. And in fact, when we discovered it, he, that's what he, he loved. That was his favorite sport. He did that more than anything. And, and uh, you know, so we, we had a lot of issues, especially in those early years. And, and he's doing good now, and, been, and I'm thankful. But I have followed an ambulance with lights and siren all the way to Emory University with him in the back. I've stood at his bedside in the emergency room with the only place they would let me touch him was put my hands on his ankles. And I remember I was a paramedic, so I know what the monitors are saying. And I've asked them not to kill him, trying to save him, was my exact words. Because they were trying to get him out of atrial fib, but the drugs they're doing are dropping his blood pressure down to like 80 over 40. And it's just we're walking a tightrope of whether we're going to live or not. And I've been there time after time with him. And so this is kind of the season I was in in my life. And we're having church at the church I pastored. And I'm in prayer that afternoon and, and for the night meeting. And, and I felt, and some of you may not understand this. I, I'm just trying to help you with mystery. But I felt God spoke in my heart, spoke to me. And he said, I want you to call out two things tonight for healing. Now, God rarely speaks to me like this, but he did then. He had before. He said, I want you to, there'll be someone there with a little finger that I want to heal. <laughs> and then he said, I want you to pray for people with bones and screws and plates that are suffering due to that. So I go to church, I preach my sermon. When it comes to prayer time, I call out those things. Which one do you think I called out first? Come on, y'all play along. Which one do you think I called out first? Sure, little finger, right? I mean, if you don't heal little finger, how can you heal bone screws in place, right? So I'm just... Now, in some churches, this would never happen because the pastors don't do this. And I'm not saying I'm better. I'm just saying this is part of that embracing mystery. And again, so I go there. I say, and all the people, they just, I called everybody up front, you know, that would come and, you know, altars were filled with people. I said, I believe that there's someone here that's having problems with your little finger. And, and I believe the Lord will heal you if you'll let us pray for you. So a lady immediately raised her hand, and I knew the woman, a member of our church. She had never told me she was having trouble with little fingers, whatever. And she said, it's me. And so I said, well, come here. I said, how long have you been hurting? She said, about 90, uh, at least 90 days, at least three months. And uh, she said, it's not like totally unbearable, but it's hurt me every day for 90 days. And uh, she hadn't injured or anything. It was just pain. And, uh, and just in that one finger. So I said, well, let us pray for you. So she came forward, held out her little finger. And I just gently took her finger, and, and I wasn't the only one praying. And we just said, in Jesus' name, we command this problem to be gone in the name of Christ. Be healed in Jesus' name. And then, I, and then you do the thing that you're you know, afraid to do sometimes in church. I ask her, are you still hurting? And a lot of times people want to help you out and make God look good, and they don't want to embarrass you. And so they'll lie and say, oh, yeah, I'm better, or it's not hurting. No games here, right? No games. It either is or it ain't. I didn't ask you God healed you. I asked you, were you still hurting? And we believe in healing, whether the pain may take the pain a while to go away, whatever. But, and I said, are you uh, still hurting? And, and, of course, she was totally healed. Well, you know, that does kind of boost your faith, seems like, a little bit. 
Now, this woman is healed. She's either playing games or lying, but she said she's healed. She said she doesn't have pain. She's had it for 90 days, 24 hours a day for 90 days. She doesn't have it anymore. Glory to God. All right, I said, next thing we're going to pray for is people that's got bones, I mean, with uh, had, had broken bones, and you've got screws and plates, and, they're, and, and, that, and you're, you're suffering because of that. And I said, how many of those people do we have in this congregation? I think there were three or four people that raised their hand. I said, well, you three or four people come down front. You know, you just normal thing. You just we just laid hands on those three or four people. Didn't nobody, you know, we didn't see no lightning bolts, you know, no sonic booms or nothing. We end the service and we go home. The next morning, seven o'clock, my phone starts ringing. I was actually in the shower. I remember. Got out. It rang again, and I answered it, and it was one of the members of my church. And he had said, and he gave me, a, and I'm giving you the quick version of testimony. He said, my wife got healed last night. He said, I don't know if you remember, but she got she fell and broke her ankle nine years ago. Nine years ago. And they put eight titanium screws and plates in her ankle. And she lost the ability of plantar flexion, the ability to do this. Are you with me? With her foot. So when she goes up steps like this, she has to, the one that can't move, she, she brings it up like that. That's how people like that have to walk. So they can't just do the normal, you know, thing. But she had done fairly well with it and she was doing good and she wasn't like in constant pain every day with it but in the meantime in the in the last few months prior to this god speaking to me about this i can't remember i think it was a hip i'm not sure it might have been hip or knee it's one of those two she had a hip or knee replacement um and had that surgery and had it done and so obviously she's dealing with an orthopedic surgeon right and so she in her last appointment before she's totally dismissed from the guy she mentions to him about her foot. And she says, can you go in and take these plates and screws out of my ankle? Uh, and so she said, sometimes, a lot of times my, my ankle will swell and I can't wear those shoes that I want to wear. You know, women wear those shoes, you know, and stuff sometimes that they want to wear that's uncomfortable. But she just couldn't wear them. And she just wondering if that would help with that. And sometimes it would cause her pain and, and swelling. And he says, absolutely, I could go in and remove those because your bones are fused together now. The, you know, it's done happen nine years. But I can't, it's not worth it. The pain would do be great, to, to be too great. I can't guarantee you that it would make any difference in what you're describing. So no, there's not really anything we can do. Okay, I just thought I would ask. She goes home. Two days later, God speaks to me. and says, pray for bones and screws in place. She didn't even come up with those three, four people that walked up and said they had problems. She stayed at her seat. She said, when I said that and started praying for them, she felt tingling and heat in her ankle. She never told her husband. You feeling those goosebumps right now? That's the spirit of the Lord witnessing that what I'm telling you is true. And she felt the tingling and the heat in her ankle. And she began to wonder in her mind, is it possible? Could it be? Am I being healed? She got home. She told her husband, go on in. I'm going to pet the animals here, you know, dog, cat, forget what it was. Go on in. I'll be in a minute. Okay. Their habits go in, drink a cup of coffee. So he said, I'll go in and get the coffee started. So she never came in, like, you know, right behind him. So he goes back out and calls her by name. He said, what are you doing? And he said, this is what she did. He's telling me this story the next morning. He said, when I said, what are you doing? Get in the house. She said, watch this. And she walked up the steps of their home, which are high steps. I've been in their home. 
And soon as he saw that, he started weeping. She was weeping. And he called me the next morning, and he said, we couldn't wait to call you. We couldn't wait for the sun to come up. He said, because we've been up all night. That's what he told me. He said, we've been up all night. He said, we've laughed, and we've cried, and we've danced, and we've laughed, and we've cried. He said, you know, Brother Dale, you just don't see this, but you see it, but you just don't see it. That's how he was talking to me, just like a crazy person. You know. He said, you see it, but you just don't see it. And he was so happy, and he was so blessed. And God healed, and now she can move. Now, me being a former paramedic for 20 years, I'm, you know, I like going to send her to the hospital and get an x-ray and see, are the plates and screws gone, or how does that work, you know? I mean, you know, it, you know, it really doesn't matter how it works, as long as it works. And God did that. Now, here comes the mystery part for me. Once the dust kind of settled on those two miracles. Now, remember, what were the two miracles? Plates and screws. That's pretty extreme, right? I mean, you can kind of go, you know, little finger, you know. That's easy. Plates and screws now, that's a whole other category. But when all the dust settled, I, I, I tell you, mystery was hard for me. Because remember my son? So I'm dealing with a son that has an issue that, that I've prayed my best prayer with my greatest love, and I've seen nothing that I could actually say happened. And here is my God healing somebody with a little finger that didn't even ask for prayer. And a woman with screws and plates can now move her leg, her ankle. And yet I go home to a sick teenager. How do you deal with that? How do you add that up and come up with, how does that make sense? I've seen where, uh, I don't personally know this pastor, but where this pastor has a son who is deaf and he has been prayed for probably hundreds of times to be healed of his deafness. He's deaf in both ears. And uh, when you hear him talk, you, you know he is. And he has prayed for numerous people that, have, that came for prayer for deafness and he has laid his hands on their heads and they have been healed and their hearing restored and yet he is deaf. Figure that one out. You would think God have to heal that guy before he could use that guy to heal somebody else. See, faith is not, you're not the source of faith. God is. In other words, listen to me. Faith, sometimes you get confused when you read scriptures that Jesus would heal people and then he would say to them, he says, thy faith has made you whole. Or it says, your faith has made you whole. And so you think that they were made by their faith. That's true, but you, you misunderstand faith. Faith is not you trying harder, believing harder. The source of all faith is in the, is, is the person that your faith is in, and that's Jesus. If you remove Jesus out of the equation of faith, faith loses all significance. Am I making any sense? So with, if you take Jesus out of the equation, there is no faith. So my faith, that makes me whole, it, listen, is my faith in the person Jesus. That's where the healing comes from. That's where the power transfer comes from. And so faith is not something that you get mentally. Faith comes from the heart. Romans 10 said, with the heart, man believeth. In other words, listen to me. We don't understand and get faith. We have faith, therefore we understand. 
I don't know if I'm in deep water or y'all just soaking it up or I don't know what y'all doing. Y'all scaring me. But you're, you're gonna have, if you're going to walk this life, you're going to have to embrace mystery. And you're going to have to dismiss the demand that you understand everything in your life as a Christian that God seemingly does or seemingly does not do or why he didn't answer your prayer. And now I want to tell you something. A lot of people, maybe some of you, you've got a chip on your shoulder against God. It's easy to get one. I've had a few. I've had a few. It's very easy if you demand God perform to your standard. It's very easy to be offended with God. I would like to tell you, you know, my son is totally, you know, healed. I don't know how many times I've, you know, only in these last few years of him at 30, every time he would go to Emory for appointment, I'm, I'm right there. That's my son. Now, you know that if, you, if you're older like me. Your kids are going to always, that's my baby boy, but he, all of them my baby, but that, he's going to always be my baby when he's 50. He'll be my baby. So I would go because I don't trust him to take care of himself like he needs to. So I'm saying, when they call him back, I'm right on his heels. I'm going right back to the exam room with him, you know. I don't care if you're 30 or not. Because you're going to tell me, oh, he said everything's all right. But no, I'm not going by that. I'm going to talk to him. But every time I would want to believe for them to do the echocardiogram on, you know, check his heart out. And they say, he's totally healed. And I'd always picture us driving back from Atlanta and, you know, reporting it to my church, and we would take off and run a few laps around the church and high-five, chest bump, whatever. Hadn't happened. What does that mean? Why? Don't know. But I have made a decision a long time ago, decision, to trust God. God is totally good, 100% good. There is no shadow of turning in him. There is no bad in him. There is no evil in him. He is good, all good. God is good. And he wants nothing but the best and good for me. Always. So I've decided to walk according to the revelation of him that I am receiving. I haven't arrived, still receiving. And I will also embrace mystery but I won't use it to accuse him. Your heart will lead you where your head would never go. I remember I had spent several years praying for a new job. I was a paramedic working 24 on, 48 off. If you only work 24 on, 48 off, that means you work 56, hour, you know, 56 hours um, yeah, a week, 52 weeks of the year. But we didn't work that. We was many times, often, we were so 48 hours straight, 72. I pulled 96 straight, more than just one time. We didn't mind working those hours because that's how you made a lot of money, too. So, but I, I got, when my kids came along, I got tired of missing them. Got tired of not being there. I missed all the tuck-ins. and I missed all that. And I knew every night that I lost one of them, that one was burnt. I would never get it back. And just for me, I'm not saying you, but I just wanted a, a I, you know, I started telling myself, I want a normal job. <laughs> I think that's some flawed thinking, but I said, I want a normal job. I want to be eight to five guy. You know? So I went around and started applying for where I thought normal people worked, you know, not weird paramedics, but normal people. I wanted to be off on Christmas and holidays and, 
be home at night. And I, you know, I had the visions of coming home at 5.30 and my wife had something cooked and just having a normal life. And so I pursued that ferociously. I applied for Georgia Power and took some exams with them and applied in Waycross and Tifton and, and uh, Valdosta and uh, Albany. Was willing to move if it took it. And then I remember in those days, I'd really kind of set my heart. I said, I'm going to work with Georgia Power. They pay good, glory to God. I'm going to climb poles, fix wire, hallelujah. You know, I knew occasionally I'm going to have to go out on a storm, but heck, you know, be less than I'm having to go out now. Paramedic. So uh, I said, I'm God's kid. He can do anything. The heart of the king's in the hand of the Lord. He can just turn that Georgia Power man that hires toward me, and I got this job. Hallelujah. And every 90 days, you had to physically walk in, sign paper to keep your application active, or they throw them in the garbage. And so guess what I'm doing every 90 days? I'm driving to Albany, Waycross, Tifton, Valdosta. And, you know, the first time you go in there, well, it's going to, you know, might take a few. Then you go in there another 90 days, and you go in there another 90 days. And after a couple years, I'm like, God, I don't understand you. Back to that. I don't understand why you ain't got me no job yet. Can you not hear my prayer? Can you not see that I want to be at church every Sunday instead of missing every third Sunday? I mean, come on, God. Help a brother out. I mean, what's the deal here? And so I started losing my, what I called my faith. I started having that little chip on my shoulder with God. And then especially while you're watching all this go on, you're watching other people just get blessed, didn't even want a job. Somebody chased them down, gave them a job making six figures. They cuss like a sailor and live like a heathen, you know, when they're making five million a year, you know. And I'm like, none of this makes sense. It's mystery. I don't understand it. So then I got tired of driving everywhere, so I dropped off Albany and Waycross. Then I'm just driving Tifton about Austin. Before long, I dropped off about Austin. Before long, it took time to go sign at Tifton. I said, I ain't signing nothing else. The heaven with that. Oh, I see y'all been there too. <laughs> and standing, I could take you to the spot. Now listen, we serve a real God, and he cares about you, and he loves you beyond my ability to tell you, and he knows everything. Listen, how could you ever be broke when you are joined and been, become one with the person who the, owns the world? Joint heir. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Joint heir. Paul said it. With Jesus Christ. You're a joint heir. Everything belongs to him belongs to you. He's your elder brother. But in our minds, we're broke. We're, we're, we're destroyed. We're, we're all that because we see things in the natural. So I, I remember one day just being so frustrated with God. And I, like, I don't understand you. It's been like two and a half years. You never asked my prayer. I've asked you, I want to be in church every I thought if I told him that I, I want to change jobs so I'd be at church every Sunday, I mean, he'd like snap on that, you know. <laughs> but he didn't. And I remember being on duty at the EMS in Tifton, and, 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 and I, I could take you right to the spot in that old station where I heard the voice of the Lord. Because this is what I kind of was just having thoughts about God. He really does keep up with you. And I, I just said, I don't understand you. Man, I don't ask nobody to pray. I've been praying for two and a half years. You're not doing that kind of deal. And I heard the voice of the Lord. I, it was so strong, I turned to look and see if he was standing there. 
Are you saying it was audible? Louder than that. Because it's inside. And he said, there's a job right under your nose. You ain't even thought about it. Now, this was in November of 1984. In May of that year, our chief of the emergency medical service had resigned. So we had been without a chief May, June, July, August, September, October, and now we'd moved into November. They had advertised, they had had many applicants, and they had hired no one. I'm 26 years old. I've never held a position of rank. There are men there in their 50s. There are men there that had been there 20 years. And I heard God say, this, there is a job right under your nose. You haven't even applied for it. Why? Because I saw myself defeated and minimized and, and, and unworthy, and it ain't going to happen for me. And I never considered it. My daddy's God. You see yourself too small. You see yourself as unworthy, or it's not going to happen. And that's a messed up mind. God loves our mind. He gave it to us, but he don't like an unrenewed mind. And when God said that to me, it terrified me. I remember I went home that night and I told my wife, I said, God's going to give me that job. I had heard that voice before. He said, I, and I remember over the next few days, and I remember I went into the acting chief. He was one of the shift supervisors, but I went in, you know, because he, he was a senior shift supervisor, so they were letting the shift captains, you know, kind of run things. And I went to him and I said, I would like for you to arrange a meeting to, me, to meet with Mr. Uh, Charles Kent, chairman of the county commissioners. I'd like to apply for the chief's job. I'll never forget to look on this guy's face. He was like. And he actually kind of chuckled in my face. He said, I'll get you a diploma. And then I could just hear the guys murmuring, you know, in the, at the station. You know, Do you believe he's going to apply for that? He must be on drugs. Think he's going to get that job. So I remember I met with the county commission chairman. Put in my application. He asked me some questions like, you know, you'll be supervising men a whole lot older than you. How do you think you're going to handle that? I don't remember what I told him. <laughs> uh, he asked me several questions. He said, well, appreciate you, you know, applying. We'll let you know. N nothing looks good there. Okay? But I remember I knew I had the job. Because this is what faith is. It's not knowing because of intellect. It's believing from your heart. Same place that courage comes from. Nobody thinks, well, that guy thought up a lot of courage and charged the battlefield with the enemy. No, that courage comes from your heart, where faith comes from. With the heart, Romans 10, man believes. I remember I was lying in bed. We lived in this little trailer in Sparks, you know, and I was lying in bed having anxiety attacks. Anybody ever had them? They ain't fun. And I remember I told my wife, and she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I know I got that job, but I'm scared to death because I don't know what to do, you know, how to be the chief. And I know God's going to give it to me. And I remember that night, she can be pretty on point. She, I was laying in bed, you know, my chest was hurting, I had chest pain, thought I was having a heart attack and all that stuff, and I'm 26, you know, and she said, she would look at me, she said, this job going to kill you before you even get it. <laughs> she can be tough now. I remember that wasn't sympathetic. I mean, that wasn't, I, I wanted to, you know, bless your heart, everything be all right. And I remember it, this job is going to kill me before I even get the job. So I had to try to gather myself up and say, well, if God's given me the job, that means God's given me the ability to do the job. And so in December, I got called for a second interview. Guess what they told me? 
got the job. He said, now listen, thanks for the clapping. Praise God. This is what he said. I'm going to give you the job on one condition. He said, now you're 26 years old. You've never held a position of, of supervisor. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in you. And um, but i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in as a supervisor, a chief. But I'm going to reevaluate after 90 days. And after 90 days, if I don't think you're doing well, I'm going to put you back on the street and, uh, you know, no feelings hurt, okay? And after 90 days, he said, I'll make this deal for you. If you've done it for 90 days and you hate it and don't want to be the supervisor, you go back on the street and I'll, no problem. How's that? Well, how am I going to say? No, I don't disagree. No, he's the boss. Yeah. Yes, sir. He said, now you're going to have to move to Tifton. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to live within the city limits. He give me all these rules. I said, okay. But he said, now don't move until six months. So let's, get, let's get this behind and make sure this is going to work out. I never told the employees that. He didn't either. You know, did them on trial. So January the 1st, I am the official chief. I didn't have to go into work till January the 2nd. Because now I get holidays. <laughs> In December, the shift supervisor that helped hire me started growing Elvis Presley pork chop sideburns, which is against county policy paramedics. You can't have facial hair. It was then. And I'm watching him grow these big bushy pork chop into his goatee mustache, knowing that if I'm the chief, I'm going to have to tell him he's got to shave. And who you think came to work on January the 2nd? That shift captain. He's a, he's a captain. I started at 8 o'clock. At 8.15, I had him in my office. And I said, now listen here, and I called him by his name. I said, now listen, you know the rules, man. You're just going to drive me right out the gate. I said, you got to shave. You can't have that. He didn't. He was standing like this when he didn't like something. He was, I don't know if he used to be a model or something, but that's how he'd stand. And his face turned blood red, man. And, uh, and he just stood there and stared at me. Because you know what I heard him say so many years? I'd worked there six years of that. He said, I've seen them come. I've seen them go. And I'm still here. And I said, shave or go home. I said, listen, man, I'm not playing with you. This last time I'm going to tell you, you're going to go in there and shave or you're going to go get in your truck and you go into the house. He just stared. He walked out of my office. I heard him in the in the bathroom with the water running. <laughs> when he walked out of the office, you know, and I heard that water running, and I, have, I closed my office door. I was like, thank God. I was about to throw up. I was so nervous. First test. That wouldn't be the last time he tried me either. But God helped me, and I was a chief for 12 years. God taught me so much. He taught me to how to handle other people's money that gets mad if it don't spend right. County taught me how to stand before seven county commissioners and uh, predict the future for next year so I could ask for the right amount of money so we could make it. Stuff like that. He taught me a lot of things, how to work with people. And all, just a lot of things that helped me in what I'm doing today. See, sometimes when God sends you to school for ministry, it's not at a seminary at all. It's where you're working right now. It's in that house, Mom, that you're washing those dishes, taking care of those babies. God's got a tremendous plan for you.
And God's put his dream and blueprinted it on your spirit. And sometimes he communicates that dream to you through dreams. Sometimes he'll have prophets and prophecies given to you. Sometimes you'll be reading the Bible and it'll just jump off the page seemingly to you. And God is quickening that, as we say, to your heart. And God's guiding you each step of the way. Let me tell you this, now I've got to be done. But when they gave me the job in December, I had never had a clue how much the chief made. But I'm thinking, that's the chief. Got to make, got to be knocking it out, you know. Now, as a paramedic, yes, working overtime, but I was already then, in 1984, making about $26,000 a year. You know, wasn't getting rich, but, I, you know, it was all right. And so when I sat there in December, he said, we're going to give you the job, blah, blah, whatever. He said, now, your salary is $19,900 a year. Gross. Without any possibility of any kind of additional overtime because you're, you're a salaried employee now. He said, you understand that? So if it takes you 60 hours a week to get the job done, then that's just 60 hours. You know, you stay there 40, you know, regardless. But. And I remember just turning nauseated. I got to go and tell my wife that I got this, God, this job God gave me, and we're going to take like a 6,000-year cut. Chico Shunda. Mystery. Now, a lot of you would have jumped off the train right there and said, wait a minute, ain't no way I can do that because what you're using is your head. Now, I want to tell you something. If you try to follow God with a calculator, you're going to have a hard journey, and you're going to miss a lot of miracles. How are you going to make it? I didn't know how I was going to make it. So you don't understand how shy and all really I used to be as far as a lot of things. And so I took the job anyway because I knew God gave it to me. And I knew if God gave me the job, that somehow he's going he's to make it all work out. That's called faith, people. Not presumption, but the salary, I was shocked. And so then here comes a guy along and wanted to do a cookware dinner at my house. He first said he wanted to sell pots, and I thought he said pot, and so I didn't. And so we sat and we went to this dinner. Long story short, you know, my wife started encouraging me in doing that. And I'm talking, about, I ain't finna sell no pots, pans. And she said, Well, that's something we could do to bring in. So I started doing that. And I'd stand up before people. And I didn't like standing up before people. But I would do those dinners. And Jill could be in the kitchen working. And I learned how to talk in front of people. And I'd hold up that pot and I'd say, this is town craft. This is, this is five-ply, multi-core, stainless steel, made out of T304 stainless. <laughs> ain't it pretty, I'd say. Some of y'all been to them dinners too, ain't you? And I'd pass the pot around. And I'd, we'd feed them a 10-course meal. And... I'd cook and do all kind of stuff with it. We'd stack that cookware up. And after it was over with, then I'd set appointments that night. And I'd come by tomorrow night, and, and, you know, we would talk to them. We didn't try to sell them that night. And God blessed me. In that first year I did it, I made over $7,000. That's a lot of money back then. The second year, I, I made like twelve, fourteen thousand, 14000 and won a trip on a cruise ship to the Bahamas and didn't even want to go. You know why? Because God loves my wife better than he does me. And when, when we got married in 1980, she came to me with her little honeymoon dream, and she wanted to go on a cruise ship because that show Love Boat was on back in them days. Y'all remember that? You know, don't make me sing the song to you, okay? Exciting <laughs> and you, you know what? And so we went to the travel agency back then. This is long before Google and stuff. 
and we, we got the travel agents to give us pamphlets and we couldn't afford to go on no cruise ship so we kind of said we'll do that one day you know one day y'all got some one days stuff one day man but one day you ain't going to be here you need to do something in one days and God's going to help you so that little dream was in her heart not mine so here not only do God's blessed us but here they come along and said y'all have won a trip on the SS Emerald Sea sailing out of Miami, Florida for a four day cruise to the, bah- to the Bahamas and I get motion sick so that's why I wasn't very excited and my wife was so excited and she got on that boat you know, it was wonderful for her. But Hurricane Diana, y'all remember that one? It was out there. And it don't have to be close to you, I found out, to stir, to stir up the... In fact, that night we went to the dinner and a, and a comedian was talking and he actually said, welcome to the SS Dramamine. Because there were so many people lying down the hall to see the dock to get stuff to help them. But we was okay. Rough the first day, but we... Had a wonderful time, eventually. But you got to do that dream. God just blessed us. In that job as chief, listen to me, God enabled me to take the department, God did, through two 20% across the board pay increases. Now, I mean no disrespect, but if you've ever worked for a city or county government, they don't normally hand out 20% at one time pay increases. Maybe three possibly five, not 20. I remember it took my, I don't mean the whole county got that. I mean, just my department got that. Got one 20% increase. And then the next uh, year, I got another 20% increase on top of that other 20. And before long, I was making more money than the sheriff was making. Seriously. God will bless you where he puts you. You're blessed already. And you got not to be afraid to try to figure everything out. And if you if you disregard mystery or you've got to figure it out or add it up or do the calculator, I'm not saying check your brain at the door, but I'm saying you're going to have to live your life beyond just your brain. Now, I'm talking about when you know it's God. And if you're not sure, get counsel. Set with people that you trust. Talk to somebody that walks with God in, and, and embraces mystery. And you're going to find out some wonderful things. You say, well, I don't understand, because that's what faith is. But I took that step into that career. Now, I, I, God called me to preach the next year. He put me in that position, 85 and 86. He called me to the ministry. I remember telling the guy, I'm not going to be here, but maybe a year or so. I'm going to be preaching. I'm gonna be. I was there 12 years. I did both for a while, because God has a plan for your life. Do you know that I still hold the position of the longest tenure as a chief there in Tiff County? They still ain't nobody with me. And before I got it, listen, no chief had ever lasted more than 24 months. From the day they started the Namlet service, nobody had lasted more than 24 months. So there was not a big desire to go into that job in the first place because it was just so hard that they just didn't last. It just chewed them up. And here I walked in there, 26. You know how they trained me for the chief's job? They handed me the keys to the office and the key to my chief's car. And that was it. I found one book in the world that had something to do with managing emergency systems, and I bought that book, and I devoured it, and I tried to do the best I could. How I learned was I opened the file cabinets that I found in my office and opened each file and read what was in there. (laughs) and just spent my days doing that, trying to learn and 
figure out what I was supposed to be doing, how to propose a budget, how to manage a budget, how to do all those things that has helped me even in my life today. God's got a plan for you. God loves you. But what I'm saying to you, and I hope you get this, and I embrace mystery. Don't, don't reject it. Don't have to figure everything out. I'm not saying you do something weird and crazy. If somebody called you out and you never even thought about this and they said, yay, yay, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt move to Zimbabwe. Don't you go get a ticket to Zimbabwe. You meet with me first, okay? You don't, don't do that. But if your dream has been for 10 years Zimbabwe and God's been speaking to you and God moves on somebody prophetically to speak that to you, then God's just trying to give you one more coin to jingle in your pocket call fate to know this is my plan for your life. Go ahead. Go. Go. But God's got plans for every one of you. And God's got plans for your life and he knows about your finances. He knows everything about you. And don't reject mystery and don't be one of those Christians that has to figure out every little thing and I'm only on, only I'm going to obey what I understand you're going to miss two thirds of your walk with God not because God's mad with you but God can't reinforce that you're walking by this instead of by this because my heart still continues to lead me where my head tells me I should not go that's why I wrestled even a year no offense I wrestled a year before I came here to be the pastor because I just I, I, just, I was just trying to calculate too many things and, and finally I just had to give it up and say I'd rather I, sometimes to me the, 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 the will of God is more valuable Some, I, I know this, stand with me stand with me I'm done but a lady I, I won't identify who she is and I'm sure that if they're even not here I haven't looked around but she's listening to it right now on Facebook so I won't identify her but in her dream just to kind of show you how God did with this woman she sent this dream to me last week and she said in this dream uh, me and my son was riding with a guy in a pickup uh, into his f fields and uh, she said his name is Will and she said I have not seen him uh, since we graduated high school and that would have been you know many many years you know ago 20 years ago I don't, I don't know how long 20 years ago probably and, uh, and she said that we stopped the pickup and we all laid down and we began to look at the stars. And, uh, and, and just the way she worded, you know, the dream was written out to me. And she, she, you know, she sent all that to me. And as soon as I read it, I knew that dream had to do with that mother's love and care and concern for God's will for the life of her son and, and his future and all those things. I had no clue even how old he was. But I knew when I read her dream that he was, was, was uh, close to 20, but I didn't know how old he was. I had no idea. I remember she said that she was looking up and she saw these storm clouds that were circling in a circle and saw lights flashing in the storm clouds. And as she told her son, and you know, uh, she said uh, to look at this or look over here and and, and uh, he, he said, I'm not going to look over there. He said, I, I can see it. You know, I can see it, Mom. I see it. I don't have to look at it. I can still see it. And, uh, and then she said she looked back up, and the storm clouds had become a square. And the lights had changed inside. And uh, the Lord showed me so clearly that God was saying to this mom, you know, that truck represents your life's journey, your, 
your ministry, what you know, is carrying you somewhere. It's a, it's a destination choice. And, and God was saying, stop, lay down, rest, and look toward the heavens. A circle storm cloud means that you think you're in a storm that's never going to end. You don't think it's ever going to end. And, and, and she's been trying to warn her son about some things and, and didn't think he sees it. But I told her, he sees it, Mama. Even though he don't turn, you don't think he's responded, but he sees what you're trying to get him to see. God says, don't worry, Mama. He sees it. He's heard you. And now she said the storm cloud changed to a square storm. What is that? A square, it's just too hard to explain, but it, that's the gospel. That's God. It has four right angles. And God said, it, and that stands for righteousness. And God said, out of that storm, I'm going to bring righteousness. And I'm going to bring an end to this storm. When I, when I text her back and I sent back what I felt, and I said, I just offer this to you for your consideration. She said, I'll pastor, her. I would have never, ever gotten that out of that. Thank you. For days I've been seeking God, trying to figure out what this dream meant. She said, that's exactly. And she said, you know, you said you didn't have a sense of, you had a sense of my son's age. You didn't know. I had no clue. She said, he's 16. She said, he's had cancer. Didn't know, didn't look like it would end. But it's ended. And God has a will, and he's got a plan. And that's why they were actually riding with somebody named Will. Isn't that neat how God speaks to you? If you'll just kind of quieten down inside and listen to the dreams God's given you, he's, he's comforting you, he's encouraging you, he's directing you along the path that he's chosen for you. It's pretty exciting. And that's why God's given you a church family. There's brothers and sisters who can help you along the way and to hear God. There's a lot of things we don't understand. The biggest key is just don't get mad at him. Try to serve him with a heart that says, I trust you, God. Irregardless, I trust you. Because he is good. I hope you found him to be that way. He really is. I remember I'd always tell Austin when we come back from Atlanta from Emory with his heart. That doctor would always walk in there and say, now you sure you hadn't had any syncope episodes, which means fainting. You hadn't passed out. You hadn't had any, you hadn't been symptomatic yet. And Austin would go, no, sir, no, sir. And uh, he'd always seemed like just baffled by that. He said, you know, when I look at your gradient, when I look at your blood flow, when I look at this, I mean, you should be symptomatic, but you're not. Oh, well, I'll see you in six months. I'd get back in that car, that truck, driving out with him out back out of Atlanta. I'd say, buddy, don't worry about it, man. I don't need that doctor to tell us we're healed, whatever, you know. Just, you're not symptomatic. That's all we care about. Just live your life, buddy. Just live your life. Live your life. And, and that's what he's done. And that was at 18, and he's 30 now. He's just living his life. I don't care. I ain't got to have the machines up there in Atlanta to give me faith. Okay, I appreciate doctors. I had open heart surgery myself eight months ago. I appreciate doctors and what they can do. But my faith is still in God. Still in God. Y'all okay today? Y'all get anything out of this? Would you give your father praise for it? Give God praise for it if you did? <clears throat> yeah.
embrace mystery is finding those Easter eggs. How many parents hide Easter eggs for your kids or grandkids? Let me see it. Hey, nobody's going to call you a pagan here. How many how many's done that? How many intends to do it this coming Easter? Okay, okay, there we go. Got some friends. I'm, I'm going to do it. Okay, I'm... How many of us gets out with the hole diggers and digs a three-foot hole and buries the chocolate egg and then covers it back up for the kids to find it? Anybody do that? I didn't think so. Where do you hide them? You hide it, listen, based on the kid's age and the ability to find because you know that kid better than that kid knows that kid. And if you're hiding for three-year-olds, you hide in one way. And if you're hiding for 10-year-olds, you hide in another way. And if you're hiding for 18-year-olds, set an appointment, come see me, I need to help you. This stuff just flies out of my mouth. I don't know where it comes from. But you hide them with great joy and anticipation. Your heavenly Father has hid so many things for you. And he knows what it takes for you to find it. And he's hid it so you will find it. He's a good daddy. Just be hungry enough to hunt for it. Be open enough in your spirit to say, I want it, Father. And I'll embrace mystery. I'll walk by faith. I'll go go by the revelation you've given, but I'll embrace that mystery that's in my life right now. And I won't hold you on trial, and I won't accuse you and charge you with lies. Because, God, you're good. And I'm going to trust you. In your timing, I'll find it. Amen? Smile real big so I know you're happy, okay? Turn and give that person the next to you a smile. Go ahead and give them. Show them you got two teeth in the front. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray. Elders, get a few elders come up right and help me right quick. If we got somebody needs prayer, we're always here for you. I'm going to dismiss you. Father, love you. Bless your people. In Jesus' name. Love you guys. God bless you. We're up front. If you want prayer for any reason, please come up front. If not, shake hands.